welcome to Didian Hawthorne in the In-Between, or DH&I. I'm your host, Mackenzie Gentz, and you're listening to our podcast about the relevance of literature in the 21st century. Now bookmark that book, and let's begin. Good morning, good morning, y'all, and don't we all love an on-time winter upload? Today, we're going to be sitting around the fire and chatting about the most prolific writers in history, so get yourself a nice drink and let's get chatting. As we get closer and closer to the new year, I've been thinking more and more about what my goals are for the podcast, and more specifically, what my goals are for reading for the podcast in 2020. And since we announced our December Dickens reads last week, I thought I would take the time this week to mention some of the new series that are coming to GH&I in 2020. And for those of you who don't like spoilers, don't worry, there's more about 2020 that I'm not going to reveal yet, so there's no, e- there's no need to get all feathered up about it. My number one reading goal of 2020 is to read Infinite Jest by David Foster Wallace, so I'm going to take you guys with me on the journey starting from January 2nd onwards. We're going to start weekly chats, a five-minute chapter check-in on what we're calling Thursdays with DFW, and it's going to be a lot of fun. That does mean we will be having two episodes per week in 2020, which is a change. One for covering the normal content like this, and the other for going over a chapter a week of Infinite Jest. A secondary but still important goal of mine is to start going through the books on my bookshelves. Yes, that was purposely left plural that I have not read yet, because I'm moving to Munich for at least a year starting in 2020. And I want to get through a substantial number of books at home before I leave so that they aren't just sitting there unread and unused. This goal does mean that the continuing modern book series will be suspended for a month or two in January and February while I get decently into what I'm calling the True Shelf series of books, but don't worry, not only are there some amazing unread gems on my shelves that we will be talking about, but we will also be back in early 2020 with reviewing some super exciting new releases that I think you all are really going to enjoy. That all being said, let's turn our attention now to prolific writers. What got me thinking about all of this, by the way, was thinking about my goals for the podcast because I would really love to read the books of Elie Wiesel in the future of the show, and I know that he was an amazingly prolific writer who produced a book or two a year after he got started with writing Night. Indeed, Stephen King is another prolific writer who we've encountered on the show before, so the concept isn't really that new, even for those of you who've been listening since October. First off, what do we mean when we talk about prolific writers? At least in literature, for our purposes right now, a prolific writer is someone who is an unusually high, an amazingly high volume of work, who has written and also published a ton of writing. I'll just start with Stephen King since I just mentioned him. So Stephen King is 72 years old and has written, according to Google, at least 92 books throughout his career, meaning that if he started writing and publishing the year he was born, he would still have had to produce at least 1.27 books a year for life up until this point. And he's still publishing. We'll be reviewing The Institute by Stephen King, which just came out a few months ago in the coming episodes of the show. The other extremely prolific writer that I just mentioned was Elie Wiesel, and Elie Wiesel was a Holocaust survivor and died recently in 2016. He is reported to have English translations of over 40 books, which is impressive not only because he didn't first publish 
um, any books until after he went to university in Paris after his liberation, but also because he wrote in other languages like French and, and Yiddish, I believe. For example, his famous novel Night was originally written in French as well. The reason why prolific writers are important to us is because it's valuable to compare themes and ideas across a, per a person's work, as well as look for certain motifs that get developed over the course of their careers. For example, between 2017 and 2018, I read the complete works of Kurt Vonnegut, and I'm now in the process of reading the complete works of Joan Didion, as you all know very well, and I found it to be an immensely rewarding experience to be able to talk and think at length about one author's works in particular, and again, compare symbols, themes, ideas, and questions across their books, and see how they approach them at different time periods in their lives. Another fairly contemporary prolific writer is Isaac Asimov, who died in 1992 and published over 500 books during his career. I will say that a lot of his books are shorter, but a lot of them were also extremely influential, like his book I, Robot, which was made into a blockbuster film starring Will Smith in 2004. His main genre was science fiction, though he did branch out into varying fields like biblical studies and mathematics. That's the other thing about prolific writers, by the way, that interests me, which is that often writers that are known for one genre or another only get to that genre after trying out other genres that perhaps don't work as well or as seamlessly with their styles. So for example, Joan Didion is perfect for this phenomenon because while she's known for her memoirs, Blue Nights and the Year of Magical Thinking, she had an entire year of journalism and writing fiction and nonfiction before then, most of which is just as excellent, by the way, and just as worth the read. Kurt Vonnegut, to name another example, also produced plays like Happy Birthday, Wanda June, and experimented crazily in other sorts of genres as well. If we go back a few centuries to less modern writers, to start, Shakespeare, of course, was a fairly prolific writer, especially in regards to his poetry output. Interestingly, though, part of the reason why he might have had so many attributions of poems and plays may have been because he's the famous place for the famous name rather for his place and time period so students of his or lesser writers of the same style of his could have theoretically contributed to his known body of work for example his play titus andronicus is only attributed to shakespeare and it has many notable deviations of style and theme from from shakespeare's other plays other things that he's known to have written and could have well been written by someone else even though i really think that in this case shakespeare did write it the same thing happens in music, actually, where the Haydn Oboe Concerto in C major, for example, is only attributed to Haydn because there's just as much evidence that a student of his wrote it as there is evidence that he himself wrote it. Ezra Pound is a poet from the same era as Fitzgerald and Hemingway, <laughs> the lost generation of writers, who also has just an amazingly large body of work. Pound is an interesting case, though, because he resolved from a very early age that he would be a prolific poet and was obsessed with studying famous writers like Dante and Lope de Vega, who were quite prolific themselves. I do have to point out that a lot of his published work, though, like his poems, appears in very short novella-like formats, some even as short as 25 pages, which is really the opposite of some of the other authors that we consider prolific, like Stephen King, who have written a large amount of longer novels, as mentioned previously. 
And finally, our short and very incomplete list of writers would not be complete, quote-unquote, without mention of Charles Dickens, who wrote over 20 incredibly dense novels, so i.e. the equivalent of 40 of today's novels, and also has a huge body of short stories to boot. I love thinking about the various themes and social trials Dickens tackled throughout his career as a writer and how about how he was pretty much the pop star of the Victorian era. Installments, anyone? Compare these numbers to the around 18 books that Joan Didion has written, and I'm sorry if you feel duped by my talking about her as especially prolific, even though she is, to me, especially prolific. The 21 books that Margaret Atwood has written, the popular six that Fitzgerald wrote, and these prolific authors all beg really interesting comparisons to the one above. The ones above. But as the article, as linked in the description that I was leaning on for this episode, points out, Quantity does not always signify quality. For example, Philip Roth, who's one of my favorite writers of all time because it takes me forever to understand his writing, from what I understand, only wrote about two dozen books, only about nine of which became popular novels of fiction. Some people consider him very prolific. Also, I should point out that while I'm at it, you need to check your sources so if you google questions like how many books did Faulkner write the google system estimates based on the popularity of titles searched by the author and the number of books which is not always correct so for example for Philip Roth it said at least nine which is the number of his popular novels but a lot of people consider Roth to be again much more prolific than just that especially since he branched out into other genres like memoir for example and especially for the quality of output that he was able to produce as you all heard last week we will be reviewing the old curiosity shop and david copperfield for our december dickens series at the end of december giving you and me both time to finish those lengthy and prolific novels if you enjoyed the discussion and would like to hear more from me there's a show and a series for everyone so i'd recommend checking out our brand new website relevanceofliterature.com for links to our entire back catalog of episodes you can also follow us on twitter or join our facebook group our handle is at didion in two ends total for both of those and finally if you want to support the show help keep it ad free and get access to our new private podcast go to patreon.com relevance of literature and sign up to become a sponsor all of the relevant links as always are in the description box down below still there One more thing then, remember that leaving a comment or review on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, or any other Guilty Pleasure podcast platform helps leverage the show so that other literature enthusiasts can find the community. In other words, it helps a ton. Auf Wiederhören!